It is a, uh, a great privilege to be sharing with you this morning. Um, just to mention that um, Phil and Sarah have been uh, away this weekend with a, another church in Cardiff, one we're very fond of, led by Chris and Helen Lawrence. Um, Chris, um, Phil only got back from the US on Thursday, and then they were straight into weekends away and stuff, so you know, we figured we'd give them the morning off. Well, not off, but you know, at least from preaching. Um, but it's also, I think it's just good for us to know what they're up to, that we get to, you know, the stuff that's been built here that God's depositing in our family gets uh, shared, you know, that we get to send them. It's good for you to know where they've been and what they're up to, so um, I'm sure we'll hear more about that sort of stuff. Um, so, over the past um, couple of weeks, Sarah's been kicking off our series about Peter, always moving forward. I love this kind of image of the of the feet, Andy's feet, and I particularly like this little worm. I don't know if you spotted him yet, but I'm enjoying him. Um, today, so Sarah kicked off really powerfully with Peter's um, calling right at the start when Peter was Jesus first called the disciples, and how Peter was quick to say yes. Um, she then looked at his confession. You know the moment when. Jesus said, well, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the saviour, the son of the living God. And today, we're going to look at um, this whole story where Peter denies Jesus, and then later when he's reinstated. So we want to look at the story. I'm going to look at that, in, so it's going to be helpful for you to have a, a finger in Luke and a finger in uh, John 21. Um, so let's dive in straight away if that's all right. Um, We're going to look at the story, look at what does Jesus' reconciliation actually look like and how Peter responds to it. And then we're going to look at how we receive it, how we align with it, and how we extend it to others. Does that sound good? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we get to gather this morning. Lord, thank you that um, your presence is here. Lord, thank you that you want to speak to us because we're, we're your kids, you love us. And uh, we just want to receive everything that you have for us. Amen. All right, let's dive into Luke 22. Um, it's starting at 54. So this is, um, this is how it goes. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter, this is Jesus it's talking about, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they'd kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looked closely at him and said, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Other translations say it like his accent gave him away. Um, but Peter said, Man, I do not know what, what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying, of the Lord, how he'd said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So, 
Jesus has been arrested. Um, so we have the moment where, you know, Peter cuts the guy's ear off and all that gets sorted. But Peter's been arrested. Uh, Jesus has been arrested and is taken away to go to the high priest um, where he's going to face charges, be interrogated. The disciples flee, fearing for their own lives, but Peter kind of hangs around at a distance because, and kind of mingles in with the crowd, hoping not to be seen because he's concerned. He wants to know what is going to happen to Jesus, who he loves deeply. And so he kind of, at this safe distance, they arrive at the high priest's house. There's a courtyard outside. Some folks have made a fire because it's cold and they're keeping warm. And Peter just mingles in around this fire. And then someone spots him. Says, hang on a second, you look a bit like that guy. And then as we've read, he denies Jesus three times. Then the rooster crows and he's gutted. You know, he leaves and it says he wept bitterly. Now, fast forward. So we know after that, Jesus dies um, on the cross. He's buried in a tomb. He's brought back to life. And over the next few days, he appears to his disciples a number of different times. And at the very end of John's Gospel, chapter 21, we find the occurrence, the third appearing of Jesus to the disciples. So here we are in John 21. The context of this is Peter decides, you know, he is a fisherman after all, he decides to go fishing. Six or seven of the disciples decide to join him as well. They go out all night, they fish, they catch nothing. At daybreak, um, Jesus is on the beach, on the shore of this lake. They don't realize who it is. It's probably Misty. Um, at least it is in my head. It doesn't say that, but it's Misty. They can't work out who it is. He's a, he's a, a way away. And the voice comes out from, from there saying, have you got any fish? And the guys reply, no, like we've been out all night. We didn't catch a thing. And then Jesus says, well, drop Drop your nets to the right side of your boat and you'll catch. So they do it. They catch this enormous haul of fish. And as they're pulling it back together, bringing everything into the boat, the penny drops for John, or as John puts it, for the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, the penny drops for John, and he turns to Peter and he says, you know that is, right? There's only one person that could be. And Peter, the, then the penny drops for Peter. And Peter's response is he, he, jump, he, he puts on his clothes, because he's stripped to the waist probably to fish, puts on this overcoat, jumps in the water. He's clearly never done the scout's life-saving badge, because you do not do that. You take clothes off when you're... But uh, he puts clothes on, jumps in the water and heads to shore because he wants to get there as fast as he possibly can. When they arrive there, the others come by boat, which is more traditional, um, and they've got the fish. When they get there, they find that Jesus got a barbecue going. Um, he says, have you got fish? They say, yeah. They have, And Jesus cooks them breakfast. They eat breakfast together. And then we find ourselves here. John 21, verse 15. 
When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So we have this stunning interaction between Jesus and Peter. Where Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And Simon has the opportunity three times to say, yes, I, I love you. Now, I make, I make videos and animations for a living. So when I'm reading the Bible, I'm often thinking, well, how would that look? Like, what would I, what would the music be doing right now? So let me tell you, in the film version of this story, the music is building. And each time there's a question, the music gets louder, okay? And more epic, okay? Until we arrive at the, this third question where Peter, and, it, and we cut in tight on Peter's face, who's really annoyed. He's like, you've asked me a third time. I told you twice already. And, it, you know, he doesn't say that, but it's all just written on his face. And, and, then, and then he says, I, I, you know everything. I love you. And that third time, Jesus says, tend my sheep. And the music kind of, you know, goes as big a swell as there's been. And... Peter, again, we're close in on Peter's face and his face turns from indignation to this realization that he's been asked three times, that each one has kind of cancelled out each one of his denials. And then there's probably some kind of drone shot to finish because they're always cool. (laughs) Now, I want to make a couple of quick observations, then we'll delve into something, some stuff that will take a bit longer. But first of all, to deny Jesus is not limited to giving the wrong answer to the question, are you a Christian? That, everyone get that? To deny Jesus is not to give the wrong answer to the question, are you a Christian? I think we can, you know, we can deny Jesus with our words. We can deny Jesus with our lifestyle. We can deny Jesus with our actions. We can deny Jesus in our relationships. I don't want to, I don't want to tell you where you you deny Jesus, but the Holy Spirit will because he wants, like he wants reconciliation. He wants restoration. Um, And he'll do it at the right time. there's a whole host of ways that we can deny Jesus. And actually, probably in significantly less stressful situations than Peter found himself in. You know, let's be fair. Uh, he was at the risk of, like a genuine risk of being taken away at that moment to be killed. There's been times in my life when the question, you know, what did you do at the weekend, has made me go a bit clammy. 
You know, you're like, I don't want that conversation about church or God. Not with you. You know? Just me, okay. Just me. You know, I'm not. I'm not lying. Um, there's lots of ways we can deny Jesus. The second thing is, what I think we see in this story, this snapshot of Peter's denial and restoration, is a kind of arc of a narrative that spans the entire Bible. You know, we see in Colossians one verse twenty. Did I put? I don't know if I, yeah. Let's have a look at that. And our anchor music guys did such a great job of putting that into song for us as well. But it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In other words, Jesus is in the business of reconciling all things to himself. Everything, if it's not already, is in the process of being reconciled to himself. So, I say that to say, um, I say that to say that this isn't just a one-time deal for Peter. Reconciliation is not Peter's story, it's our story. So, I want to look a little bit at, is everyone tracking with this? We're doing okay. Good. Um, I want to look a little bit at what is the kind of reconciliation that Jesus brought. Okay, because I've, I've heard lots of preachers on this passage, and I, I think a lot of them have landed and kind of just remained with this idea that Peter had three black marks against his name, and then Jesus restored them and rubbed each one out with each one of those phrases. And that was kind of it. That was the, that was the deal. But what, what I think we see in this passage and in this story and in the context of this story is something that goes a bit further than that. And perhaps it's Jesus's kind of reconciliation is a bit bigger, a bit more impacting, a bit far, more far reaching than our idea or perhaps a bit more than what we receive ourselves or we extend to others. So I want to have a little look at that. If we, if we bring that passage up again, I'm not going to read it again, but you'll notice, after Jesus establishes forgiveness, so after we have the three questions and the three responses, the next thing he does is begin to speak to Peter about his destiny. Now, Admittedly, his destiny at this point is not necessarily favorable, okay? Because what he talks about is basically how he's going to die. However, I think in the, in the context of this relationship and the, the kind of raw state of where they're at, you know, Peter's just seen his best friend crucified, thought he was kind of grieving for this whole thing. Then he's risen again. But he's denied, you know, the last thing he did was to deny Jesus. What was, he, there's a lot of stuff going on. When Jesus restores him, 
We're at this place of forgiveness, then he begins to speak about his destiny. And I think what he's saying there is, you denied me, but that's not who you are. Who you are is a man who would die for me. And I I think as Peter reflected on what Jesus was saying, he could probably say, I'm that guy. I am that guy. I'm not the one who denied you. So Jesus speaks into his destiny. As an aside, Peter is then walking with Jesus, and in the next little bit we see that he spots John right behind them, taking notes. Now we know he's taking notes because we're reading them. (laughs) Now, and Peter, it says Peter spotted that John was just behind them. And he, and he said to Jesus, what about him? I'm going to die, what about him? And Jesus says, what's it to you? Effectively. I mean, it's almost in that many words. He says, if, if I decide that John needs to live to see me transfigured, how's it changed what I've called you to? Have you ever compared your journey? Like, have you ever looked across at someone else's calling? No? Great. We'll move on. <laughs> we don't need to cover that. I'm going to finish early. This is great. <laughs> it makes no difference what he's called to. This is what I've called you to. Something else we know is every response to Peter, after Peter says, I... I love you, of course I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. In other words, Peter, not only are you forgiven, but I trust you with the very people that I love dearly. That's a big deal. You know, we don't leave our, it may look like we leave our kids with anybody, but (coughs) our babysitting list is like ridiculous, but we don't. So if you're one of them, thank you so much. We trust you. But we don't leave our kids with anybody. We leave people, you know, people we trust, people we love. Jesus said to Peter, tend my sheep. Look after the ones that I, I love. And then if all that wasn't enough, let me show you something way back in Luke 5. Okay? So this is Luke's account of the first time the disciples were called. Okay, so this is Luke 5, 1 to 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but your word I will let down the nets. Now, let's pause here for a second, because Simon is a fisherman, and although he sounds indignant, he's a fisherman taking advice from a carpenter about fishing. Okay? So I think it's fair enough. Yes? Because not, you know, you may already know this, but you don't fish in the day in the Middle East. It's hot. Okay? So the, on that lake, this is why, you know, whenever you see the disciples fishing, it's nighttime. 
because the fish at night, it's cooler, so they come to the surface, which they can't do during the day. So they've been fishing all night, which is prime conditions, and they didn't catch anything. Jesus is now in the daytime and says, cast your nets. Simon, understandably, is like, you may be a great carpenter, but... But he doesn't. He says, at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they'd taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, does anything sound familiar in this story, like apart from the whole thing, yeah? Loads. So this point is Peter's calling. In John 21, we see Jesus kind of, well, his restoration, but his, and then he recommissions Peter, doesn't he? And so this may not blow your mind like it blows mine, but only Jesus can orchestrate this kind of thing, you know? The context which he restores Peter is like Groundhog Day from the very first time he called him. You know, here, they're fishing, they catch nothing, Jesus tells them to drop their nets, they get a huge catch, Peter recognizes a disconnection between him and Jesus, Jesus speaks destiny over him, says, you catch men, and then they follow him. In John 21, we get their fishing, they catch nothing, Jesus tells them to drop their nets, they take a huge catch, Jesus deals with the disconnection between him and Peter, Jesus speaks destiny over him, and then Jesus says, follow me. It's quite amazing, actually. The big difference There are a couple of differences. The big difference is that three years has taught Peter something. Three years ago, when Peter spotted the disconnect, he said, go away from me. I'm I'm a sinner. Three years on, Peter sees the disconnect, and he jumps in before the boat can get to the shore. (laughs) No, he is so, I am going for Jesus. I've got to get to you. We have to sort this out. That's a big difference at three years to him. He didn't hide away. He went for connection. The other difference that I've never noticed before, but it kind of screamed at me this week, was the nets. Did you notice the nets are different? So if we look at Luke 5, it says, And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. In John 21, it says, So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. 
It seems they counted them before they barbecued them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, it might be just a little detail, and it might mean nothing. I don't want you to build theology around it. It's not one of those fundamentals, but I love the details, and it does say all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching and training in righteousness and all that. So there's something in this for me, or at least there was this week, that Peter's whole experience that Jesus invites him into as he's fishing, and it turns out to feel a little bit like Groundhog Day, there's a lot of things start to... You know, I wonder if when he's in the boat and they're caught nothing, it probably happened a few times, you know. You don't always catch stuff, do you? But, but then there's a voice that says, have you tried the, you should put your nets over. I wonder if you went, oh, that's weird, I remember that once. And then as the fish all fill the nets and it becomes this huge catch, I wonder if you went, oh, this does seem slightly familiar, you know. But then this time, the nets don't break. And I wonder if he spotted that. I wonder why it's in here. I kind of think that around this whole restoration and reconciliation story, and around the whole point of Jesus recommissioning Peter to say, you're restored, you're not disqualified, there's nothing that was on you that isn't still on you. There's nothing I don't trust you with because you're fully restored. There's also this, you're, you're ready. You're ready. And he just, I just think it's an amazing moment of affirming Peter. The point is the kind of reconciliation that Jesus brings goes way beyond forgiveness. And let, let me just be clear, I'm not talking about salvation, okay? I don't think Peter lost his salvation when he denied Jesus because I don't think the relationship was cut off or we wouldn't be here. Um, I'm talking about Peter did stuff that didn't honor their relationship, it messed their relationship up, and it needed sorting out. We could probably identify with that. I think it echoes a salvation story, but I don't think, I'm not talking about we don't constantly lose and regain our salvation. That's not how relationship works. Um, so I just want to be clear about that. But the kind of reconciliation Jesus brings when he does restore us, when he does forgive us, goes, goes way beyond forgiveness. So how, how does that affect us? I've... Um, I don't know about you guys, I've really appreciated the way that Phil and Sarah have articulated our vision and values in three E's. Yeah? The, how we exist to encounter God, to empower people, and to engage the city. And for me, it's given not only just a language to kind of why we're here and what we do and all that sort of stuff, but it's also given me kind of lens to hold up to say, well, the things I lend my hand to, how do they, how do they fit, you know, do they fit, do they, is this what I'm about? And so, you know, as I was preparing this, I was thinking, well, how does, how does this stuff affect these three E's? 
Because the, the fact is, restoration, reconciliation, reinstating, whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it, we have to, we have to receive it. It won't be forced on us. We have to receive it. So, but once we've received it, we have to kind of then align ourselves with it so that everything that was, that is true, everything that has been restored is, is what we believe. We align with it. And then we have to be people who extend it to others. So let's just, let's just look at these three. Encountering God. You know, you probably know what it feels like when your relationship isn't right with God. You know, do you ever have that? That kind of, it's just uncomfortable, isn't it? Then when there's an area of your life that denies Jesus, it does affect this encountering God piece. You know, I, I remember, you know, being asked about to share my testimony or something like that, but I've kind of always, you know, I was, I used to roll out the line, you know, I was, I was brought up in a Christian home, which I thought, I've always found a weird line because when I heard it, it made me think you were brought up in an orphanage run by a church or something, you know? Um, but, and then people would say, you know, um, how has life changed since you became a Christian? Well, <laughs> where do we start? Because I was like seven, so I can now, I can use the kettle on my own, and I don't, I don't need a babysitter when I, when I'm home alone. Um, you know, it's quite hard, but then I realize what I, what I can say is I, I don't, I don't really know what life was like before I was a Christian, but I can tell you what it feels like when I'm tracking with him and when I'm not. It feels very different. And so when I'm not tracking with him, it does feel different and it affects this, it affects how we encounter him. And we can struggle to even want to encounter God if we remain in that place. What I would say is let's be like Peter version 2 and not Peter version 1. You know, let's not be there, go away from me, I'm sinful, I need to sort my stuff out and then we'll talk. You know, let's be like Peter who jumped in, in his clothes, got to shore as fast as he possibly could to reconcile with Jesus. empowering people you know if we if we don't receive the fullness of what it is to be restored by Jesus then we might land at forgiveness but we might not land at restoration in other words we might land at forgiveness but still disqualify ourselves from certain things you know I did ABC so I forfeited X Y and Z you know or I don't believe those things are possible for me. Look at, you know, look at my track record. Jesus wasn't like that. You know, he reinstated everything. Everything that was on Peter, he affirmed. Engage in the city. I can only speak from personal experience, but I think the big problem with this one is that in the process of repentance, there's a turning and there's a, there's a, inherently a change you know and I think the problem happens when when we show up with people 
in the city, engage in the city, and we're, we're more concerned about what people believe about us than what God believes about us. Because, and then we, or at least I used to roll out the thoughts of, well, they won't believe that because they know what I'm really like. Rather than, they've never seen the real me yet. Wait till they get it. And we, we concern ourselves that we're frauds or not authentic or something like that. All I'll say is, that's not true. That's a lie. You know? So that's how I think it, some of the ways it affects those three. And then finally, you know, we have to extend Jesus' kind of reconciliation to each other and to others. Um, you know, Sarah preached from Isaiah 61 when it says, you know, they will re- rebuild the ancient ruins, they'll repair cities destroyed long ago, they'll revive them, though they've been deserted for many generations. You know, but we're part of Jesus' ministry, part of his family, and it's about reconciliation, it's about restoration. You know, Isaiah prophesied it, and we're part of it. So it's on us to restore others. We, you know, we should be people who do it. We should be known for doing it. I remember Phil and I visited a church in Dayton, Ohio. Their strap line was Dayton, Dayton Vineyard, a pretty good church. Which is quite, I quite like that. <laughs> the truth is, if you were there on a Sunday, it, it wasn't even pretty good, was it? It was kind of completely average. But it was, but it was massive. I don't mean, like I'm not being disrespectful. They had something that was not glossy, but they had something. And you, you know, you drive by on a Tuesday night and the car park was full. I'm like, what? Why is the car park full? So there's something going, oh yeah, it's the single parenting class. Like, really? You know, you'd be in the supermarket and overhear a conversation where they were saying, I am, I cannot get out of my debt. I don't know what to do. And the other person wasn't a Christian, didn't go to the church, but went, have you tried Dayton Vineyard? They'll be able to help you. I mean, it was incredible. We should be known, you know, the healing center this afternoon. That's one of those. How far will we move beyond forgiveness into restoration when it comes to others? You know, will we forgive, you know, you have wronged me, will I forgive you, but not only forgive you, push you forward into everything that's on you. Maybe even that you run faster and further than I do. You know, how much are we prepared to restore people? And it also, maybe, and this might be a little scratchy, but it maybe also changes the way we approach evangelism. I think large portions of the church, for large portions of time, have had the wrong starting point when it comes to, and I've taught it, unfortunately. But, you know, and we, we, 
I'm probably going to offend some people. I'm really sorry. I'm not trying to. I'm just reflecting on what, what I've done in the past, and I'm not sure I had the fullness of it. Okay, so, I, you know, I remember teaching this stuff, five points to evangelism. Number one is heaven is a free gift, can't be earned, isn't deserved. Number two, man is a sinner, can't save himself. That's the wrong starting point, I, I think, now. Because man is an amazing, beautiful creation of God with a destiny on his life, with a plan for his future, designed to be in connection with God, a good God who loves them and believes in them more than they will ever believe in him. That's the starting point. Yes, sin enters the equation and is a big problem that is dealt with. But the starting point... You see, the problem is, if if our starting point is man is a sinner, then we're not really restoring people, are we? We're just storing them. (laughs) Like, you have to have a starting point that is... Because when you... It may sound daft, but it is the way I think about stuff. If you... you have to have a starting point. If, if we're about restoring people, then we're placing people back where they belonged, always belonged. If we're storing people, then we're just kind of keeping them safe until we find a use for them. That's what you do when you store stuff. We're, re, we're restoring. So our starting point is not, by the way, you're a sinner. It's, by the way, you're amazing. You are planned, designed. There's a future on you that you can only begin to imagine. And you can't see it yet because you don't know who designed you. But let me introduce you. You know, people are not looking for a God and a family who know how bad they are. They've already got a pretty good idea. They're looking for a God and a family who know how amazing they are and can draw it out of them. I agree. It is good. <laughs> All right. I don't know where, what areas of you, your life you would say deny Jesus. I don't know if there are any. But I do know that, and I don't know, you know what God's been speaking to you about this morning, but I do know that God's heart is to restore. Is to restore you, is to restore your friends, your family, our city, it's to restore your dreams, your destiny, and for you to be a part of doing that too. You know, Peter moved from go away from me, Lord, to I'm jumping in and I'm after you. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all and you've never experienced reconciliation with him. We, I would just say, if, that, if that's you and you would like to chat to someone about it, come and Come and find me or come and find someone still at the front here after. Um, but can I pray for you? Pray for us? Uh, why don't we stand? Yeah, Holy Spirit, we just, we invite you.